0: Hey, Trojan fans! Welcome to a very special edition of the Peristyle Podcast. We got our friend, our good buddy, Yogi Roth, uh, joining us on the show. Want to talk about him a little bit? He's got a new project going on. Want to kick his brain about USC football? You can follow him on Twitter at Yogi Roth. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. We've had, yeah, we've had you on the show before, and it's always fun to, to talk to you. And this guy, this is you know, for, if you don't know Yogi Roth, is he was former USC. Uh, assistant coach there but if you want to switch life with someone he's probably one of the, the top five guys or so you'd want to do that with him. he's a he, i love your twitter bio where he's like i'm a storyteller an explorer he's a world traveler he's been an actor uh, he's a best-selling author he wrote a couple books from pa to la and then co-wrote uh, win forever with pete carroll uh, just he's all over the place traveling all over the world and got a new project called life in a walk that we're going to talk to in a little bit and he's on tv a lot uh, for the Pac-12 networks, you, you can see him on the Elite Eleven with on ESPN. So so much good stuff. He's around football all the time, and then he's like, I'll just go to, you know, Peru or something and just go surfing down there. So it's pretty good life to be Yogi Roth, I think.
1: <laughs> wow, that's a great uh, intro, man. Much <laughs> appreciate. Much appreciate I want to know who the other yeah, four guys are. That's what I want to find out. Who else is
0: on that list? Ooh, that's a good question. I'd have to, I mean, you're, I don't know. You've. Got, I'm going to put you number one for now. Maybe some Hollywood actor or something, but. Um, yeah, I mean, since the kind of this is the thing when I I I forget the first year I first met you, Yogi, but like one of the times you're coming down to practice, uh, you know, he's he's hanging around. And he comes in, he's like, "Oh, this is my friend Sam uh, Samantha." I was like, "Oh, it's it's now Samantha Ponder." He's like, you know, he brings her into USC football practice. They're just kind of hanging out. Like that's the kind of life Yogi Yogi Roth leads.
1: <laughs> oh, Sam was the best. Region. When I left coaching, I got lucky and got a job with Fox. And uh, we were on our, in the same crew for two years. And neither one of us, or she, she knew way more about television than I did. I knew nothing. But we were both kind of green. So it's been fun to watch her explode over the last couple of years. And she always is a fan of the Trojans. Always bring her over to practice and hang out with Pete or Mark Jackson or whoever was over there. So Sam's definitely an SEC fan. I think she's probably going to be calling the Cal game too.
0: Oh, interesting. That would be good. Yeah, I think did she go to the NFL, I mean, uh, Longhorn Network first and then ESPN hired her or something like that?
1: Yeah, she left us at Fox and uh she went to Longhorn Network for a year and then just exploded when Aaron Andrews left. She uh slid right in and she's been crushing it, man. And she she really um of course like she's beautiful, but um she's smart or smarter than majority of male football analysts I'm around. I mean she's been around the game, she's been dealing with the football, throwing it since she was a kid. I mean, she really understands the game and savvy around coaches and interviews, so I think the sky's the limit for her and Who knows? She'll probably have her own show on The View or Oprah or Channel something (laughs) someday soon because she's she's crazy talented.
0: Yeah, it's great. I mean, that just meteoric rise right there, and I was like, wow! I I remember meeting her. Like, she's the now the college football. I mean, that's the. I mean, if you like ESPN, don't like ESPN, whatever. Like the you know the college football show on Saturday mornings, man. It's just I don't know if it gets much better than that. That's that's the pinnacle. That's great that she got on there.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's the greatest show in the history of sports television to me is college game day and um, every week they break it down and kind of give you some unique analysis and sam clearly adds a ton to the show
0: uh well i wanted to let people know where they can see you on television the elite 11 is kind of more of a it's not on all the time you can check that on espn but what let people know what you're doing on the pac-12 networks too
1: yeah no i love the pac-12 networks you know I, i was really lucky to get there when it started and it's kind of like building a staff you know when you go to a new program or a new coach comes in, kind of like it is going on at USC now. And you really get to piece everything together. You appreciate all the small, v- small wins and the little things along the way. And um, they let me be, you know, one of the college football analysts every weekend. I'm calling a game for the most part. I'll do studio shows during the week. I have a new show airing now called One on One where I get to sit down with every head coach and talk everything outside of X's and O's, but really dive into their coaching philosophy, which clearly I like being around Pete and, and having co authored that book with him. And, Uh, And then they also let me uh, produce a documentary series on uh, the team across town on UCLA. So we do that every week. So it's really become a place where all of my creative desires from producing to writing, to being on air, to hosting um, can really be satisfied. And and I love it. I mean, I'll I'll stay there as long as they'll let me, because I do think that it's going to continue to grow. And um, you you see where TV is trending now, and it's really to these networks based around these conferences. And we get to know the kids and the players and, you know, I, I know these teams inside and out now. I've been doing it for a couple of years and clearly been at SC for four years prior to that. So it, it's been a blast, man. And for everybody who watches it, we appreciate it. And for those of you who don't, uh, make a change. I mean, it really is compelling television regarding your favorite school, SC.
0: Um, yeah, great stuff. Check it out on the Pac-12 networks. And uh, Yogi does a lot of awesome work on there. Um, people don't know, too. I'm, I'm not sure if they kind of realize that you people – starting to get to know you as one of those like quarterback gurus and I want to talk about Bruce Feldman's book The QB we're going to have him on a podcast probably later on in the week or something and you're featured in that book quite a bit but you were a I mean you started your football career as a wide receiver you were a walk on wide out of pit that you know at Pittsburgh you end up getting a scholarship and I think you were playing in front of Larry Fitzgerald right or something like
1: that In the video games, I was in front of Larry (laughs) Fitzgerald. He pretty much beat me out after about a few practices.
0: Okay. (laughs) Well, that's understandable. That's tough, you know. (laughs) But that's how you got started, more as a wide receiver. How did you kind of transition into uh, working with quarterbacks so much?
1: Well, you know, obviously I'm not the biggest of guys. I was never the fastest of guys, so I had to beat people with my mind. And after my freshman year, I played as a true freshman and then uh, got put on scholarship after starting a couple games as a sophomore. And I just kept always trying to stay ahead of, um, ahead of the game. And I always think that the development, especially of a receiver, is that first year you learn the routes. You know, you're seeing it with the young receivers that I see now. Your second year, you really start to understand half of a defense. You know, the half that's closest to you, the outside back closest close to you, the safety close to you, and obviously the corner. And then your third year, I think, is where you can develop and try to see the whole field. And for me, I thought the best way to do it would be to learn from the quarterback. So I was lucky, and I kind of probably uh, went through those phases of learning quicker than normally, and so I started watching film with the quarterbacks ever since you know, my freshman year ended. So I've always been obsessed with the position. Um, and then when I got a chance to go to SC and really get a master's degree in football from, you know, from Pete, obviously, Lane when he was there, and Steve Sarkeesian and everybody in between, um, the QB position, the entire offense was built around. You know, this is before up-tempo offenses really became the trend. So to understand the West Coast offense here, I played in the run and shoot, And then be able to mold it with the um, innovativeness of Lane and Sark at the time, Um, and he clearly wanted to try anything unique. For me, it was the perfect breeding ground. And the fun part for me is that when I was a young coach, you know, I used to meet with Sark every day at six thirty in the morning. We'd go through QB school, and I then I would go out during our lunch break. You know, some guys would play basketball, some guys would work out. Well, in the off season, I would actually take a ball and go play quarterback. And I would go on to Howard Jones Field and I would take drops. You know, I would make sure my footwork was right. I would. Defenses. i get other GAs or equipment guys or student workers to come out and play you know, the defensive front, the backers, the safety shell. Just So I always thought that I can't teach it unless you have done it. And clearly I hadn't played the position, so I had to do everything I could to be able to speak with conviction and get these kids to be confident in me. And of course, there's so many coaches that have never played the quarterback position, let alone football, and are ridiculously successful head coaches. I mean, that's obvious. But um, for me, I really wanted to. Drop into the position, and I fell in love with it. And when I left coaching, having the opportunity to be a part of Elite Eleven was always unique. Because, of course, I miss coaching every day, and you miss the influencing of the kids. But in Elite Eleven, you have the best of the best, right? You've got I get to meet a thousand CEOs, you know, that type of mentality. A thousand high school captains every year in the off season. and get to go through that process. So I think my perspective, being a non-quarterback position player is probably unique to the rest of our Elite 11 staff and when, when you look at Bruce's book I think I always came at it from just a little bit of a different POV because of that and how I learned the position.
0: Yeah, it's been great. If you uh it's uh, the Elite 11 is really it's a fun uh, experience for me. We've seen it down, you know, there's regional events down like a mile from my house at Redon Union High School. Uh they've moved it up. It's now kind of part of the opening. It was up on the Nike campus the last couple of years and uh bruce's book goes about the 2013 year and uh some great stuff there so definitely check it out we'll talk to bruce uh later on in the week but yogi's in the book quite a bit and uh for the elite 11 though it was this last year um usc had a couple guys up there that were committed uh sam darnold and ricky town uh sam more of an underdog kind of guy under like maybe underrated and ricky town was more like the five-star guy that everyone kind of knew about but there were some questions about him and we got to do a Yogi was nice enough to do a video with me and we put it up on, uh, on scout, um, you know, about, you know, what these, the quarterbacks and stuff were doing, but I want to maybe kind of dive into that a little bit too, and just kind of get your thoughts on, on both of those guys. We can pick either one you want to start with, because I know you had some really interesting things to say about those guys.
1: Yeah, they're both great young men, um, to be honest and and not just giving you the PC comments on it, but you know, the quarterback position in general, um. They all should be amazing young men. I mean, that's just the position. So to to be dropped into that group isn't that big of an accolade, but that's the truth for these kids and that's where I would start. Uh, when you look at Ricky, um he's a man who since I glutency as a sophomore really had a bullseye on his chest in terms of being known around the country, you know, getting offers from places like Alabama, you know, like USC, huge schools around the country. When you watch this film, uh, his competitive temperament is what jumped off and a lot of times in the early 11 process when you watch film and see a guy who's been offered everywhere, at the time Ricky was committed to Alabama and their offensive coordinator Doug Nussmeier, who I've known for a long time because he was with start at the University of Washington, you think to yourselves, it's a no-brainer. I mean, this kid just has to show up and do above average, and he's going to get an invite, and that didn't happen with Ricky his first couple times out, and he's such a competitive kid, and and I say kid in, in the most respectful way, but he is still young, and these kids that are on you know the message boards that are seen as saviors and presidential and you know everybody thinks that they have all the answers. They're still kids. And for Ricky, when he went through the process, I think that was evident because he didn't want to tell anybody about his injuries. He didn't want to talk about you know, what it's like to be under a microscope. And he never dealt with it. And it just kind of held it inside. And he talked openly about that. And to Austin, we got him to the Elite 11, um, and he made it to the finals. The first thing that he and I did was talk about that. You know, and just have an open line of dialogue. And while everybody sees on television, you know, the hour-long documentary, which is amazing, or the seven-on-seven, seven, what really goes on is that we dive into everything beyond the X and O's of these kids. Of course, they get a hundred-page playbook and concepts and every football scheme you could dream of, but we get really hold, pride ourselves in on diving into the mental side of human performance. We bring in the top high-performance psychologists in the world. The guy named Dr. Michael Gervais, who works currently with the Seahawks and a bunch of other professional teams and athletes. And we try to really get into these kids' minds about what goes on outside of you should not influence your performance. And that's a really easy statement for us to deal with and swallow. But try being 16 years old and the whole world being, having access to you via social media, being able to say whatever they want, whether you're a boss, you're not a good player or you're the man. Either way, it's hard to manage if you've never been taught how to do it. So for Ricky, that was the coolest part of our experience together. And after he started to process that and, and realized that um, he was allowing things he couldn't control to affect him, um, he started to let his guard down and started to have fun, started to smile again. And, of course, he started to rip it and he started touchdown after touchdown. And we saw the zip on the ball we were accustomed to seeing on film. We saw the natural athleticism, his instinctiveness, his anticipatory skills, his functional football intelligence just took over. And it was, to me... In six years of doing the Elite 11, probably a top three uh, story for me around Ricky Town. So I, I think SC, as a young man, who's going to compete his tail off every snap. He's ridiculously serious about football. Um, he cares so much, which you need to at this position. And he embraces competition. And as he continues to learn the mental side of performance, from Steve Sarkeesian is masterful at, especially at the quarterback position, they'll have the opportunity to thrive.
0: The uh, it's there's if you read to the end of Bruce's book, there's a, a lot more about Ricky Town and it was it was interesting that Trent Dilfer, who's, you know, like the, the main guy with the Elite 11 there, uh, talked about how that, you know, he talked a little bit about he didn't really make it until late. You know, he wasn't one of the early ones that was invited to the, the group of 18 quarterbacks and, you know, that his team went 0 and 4 in the in pool play and then they went on a run in the playoffs and he ran all the way to the finals, like you said, and. They end up playing him the entire time. Usually there's three quarterbacks on a team, so you only play basically every third half. But once they got into the playoffs, for whatever reason, I think uh, Willie McGinnis might have been his coach, but they just put Ricky, Ricky Town in the whole time, and he made a run all the way to the finals there. But they, they talked about in the book, like, he was one of those guys that made this transition. He felt like he grew up a lot just through this process. It seemed like it helped him a well, lot. It was only a few days up there, but it helped him tremendously.
1: I think so too, you know, I mean even talking to his family about it, I think so often, I mean, you're at all these events, you know, these seven-on-seven seven tournaments, and the, the tournament ends, and you go up to the kid, and the first question from everybody is, how'd you play? You know, are you happy with your performance? Unfortunately, it's not, did you have fun? And I think for, for our perspective, that's the first thing we try to make sure happens, because if you're not having fun, you're never going to play well. And it's, just a, it's a simple question, but it's a forgotten question. If you look back to the era of peace, are clearly Sark, and what they're doing. You have to enjoy the craft. And when you don't enjoy it, it becomes a burden. And when it becomes a burden, it becomes a job. When it becomes a job, you really lack the emotion and really the emotional intelligence I think you need to perform at a high level. And that's just something that's easily taught and learned. And Ricky hadn't been exposed to that. And, and our team made it a priority to make sure that, you know, he was smiling again. And he did. And to us, you know, I'll never forget when camp ended. You know, he gave me a hug. He said, It was one of the greatest weeks of my life. And it had nothing to do with the run he had to the finals or the touchdowns. And it was all the other stuff behind the scenes about him diving into what really makes a performer tick. And it's your self-talk, right? It's where confidence comes from, not from your blog or a podcast or a message board or a tweet. It comes internally. And it it, it comes from what you say to yourself. And for Ricky, he had to go through that process, and I think it's going to benefit him a ton when he gets to a place like SC. I've always said this: at that position specifically, when you when you sign at USC, you become a household name. When you start at USC, you become a Heisman candidate, and those things happen pretty fast. And it's not always the easiest thing to deal with, but I, I think Ricky's going to put himself in great position to be able to compete for the starting quarterback job in a couple of years.
0: Um, so he was the Ricky Towns, the more highly touted. Uh, recruit the guy that everyone's got, you know, kind of knew about. Sam Darnold uh, came on, I guess, a little bit later, uh, a little bit maybe a little bit more athletic. What did you see from Sam Darnold? And he made the Elite Eleven. How how he played, and, and what kind of player USC would be getting in him?
1: You nailed it. You know, that's the other side of the coin. You know, the best part about Elite Eleven is that we really try to make sure there's no more Kurt Warner stories. You know, there's not the guy that kind of is unseen, unknown, and throws for ten thousand yards. You know, and becomes a Hall of Famer. You know, we're really trying to make sure that we, you know, look under every rock. And Sam was that guy, you know, he's a sophomore. He's this really talented athlete. I think it's like player of the year in his conference in basketball or something like that, you know, and then he gets hurt two or three games into his junior year and nobody really knows a lot about him. And I'll never forget, I talked to his head coach in high school, prior to the camp, just trying to do some homework on him, and he started telling me his story. And oh, this guy is kind of interesting. And uh, before every camp, there's a staff, we always get together and say, hey, be excited to see, you know, who's coming. We kind of just do our, our breakdowns. Everybody does evaluations on every kid and kind of what they've done in their season in the summer, academically and their personal story. I said, man, you only could watch Sam and everybody didn't know about him, you know, other than kind of the general stuff or the, the reports we were emailing back and forth. And he showed up and he, number one, had a determination about him that was something we've seen a lot over our six years about kids coming to really deliver a point, you know, being, no one knew about him. He was lightly recruited, and he wanted to prove he was one of the best guys on the West Coast. And traditionally for us, the Northern California Elite 11 competition, usually middle of May every year, is just epic. I mean, there's usually anywhere from six to ten guys that make it to the finals from that, because it's late enough. Kids are developed in seven-on-seven seven standpoint. They feel confident in their arms, and they all show out for that. And he was one of them. And to me, when I watched him play, I know this will sound crazy, but the ball spun off his hand like it does Andrew Lux. You know, his wide base reminded me reminded me of him. His his uncanny athleticism when you look at him, you don't think, oh, this kid can drop 25 points, you grab 12 boards and block four shots and run the fast break, but he can. You know, It, it just reminded me of him a little bit to a degree how the ball came out. Um, he, he almost reminded me of Brad Kaya um, from a, two years earlier, who's now starting at the University of Miami, of a kid with such a unique size and such great feet, and the ball naturally spins out of his hand. That once his body kind of grows in, grows into his frame, and he continues to learn and grow, he's going to be fine. What what it what I really liked about him, above his physical traits, was his mental traits, and that's what I learned at the finals. You know, he he's pretty unflappable, which most quarterbacks should be. But you know, the two-minute drill that I do during camp, we try to make this as chaotic as humanly possible, and for the most part, Sam Donald was even keel throughout the whole time you know he understood what we we're teaching in the high performance uh lessons that we we're teaching about whether it's breathing quieting your mind positive self-talk we took all of those things and you're watching it play out you know in the senior season the kid can make every throw he clearly embraces competition and i think when these two young men get on campus they're gonna have a great respect for one another because they both know each other's story but they are also aren't going to back down from one another they both will expect to compete and win the job and ultimately that's
0: what makes the room right um great stuff want to check out bruce's book you can see more about yogi in that and i love hearing about the uh incoming freshman quarterbacks i know the, the fans love to hear that stuff as well i want to talk about the team the current team a little bit too yogi if we could i know you're you're coming up you're doing the washington state game so you get to watch you've been watching some of the film from usc washington state over this past weekend and kind of get your thoughts and bouncing back uh, that you know a couple tough losses in the the last seconds of game, you know, Utah being one of them, but bounced back and played pretty well against uh, Washington State.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's a couple things we should look at. And I was actually talking to Pete about this the other day. When you look at when um, the Pac-12 networks kind of got going, when you look at uh, maybe the last year or so, of Coach Carroll at SC, last year or two, the staff started to change in this conference. And they started to put more resources behind football programs, and then all of a sudden when USU went on probation and lost the scholarships, what used to happen in the past is we'd sit in recruiting meetings and we'd look at a kid and say, oh, I don't know if will start for us, but we don't want to play against them. Let's offer and you knew you could get him. Well, that didn't happen for four years, and it allowed everybody in the conference, when you add that plus the money from the TV deal, to be able to hire their coaches and to be able to recruit players and develop pipelines. So first and foremost, I think it's really important to just understand the landscape of the Pac-12 and how competitive it truly is, because it is that. And week in and week out, you don't know who's going to win. I mean, I've, I've had Colorado the last two weeks. They easily could have beat UCLA, and they probably, if they don't turn the ball over, beat Washington. And they're a team that, you know, if you just look at the box score at the end of the, end of the game, you'd think, oh, they're just kind of on the doormat of the Pac-12. But that, that's not the case. Outside of the games against FC, they played everyone competitively. So I think first and foremost, it's important to do that. Secondly, I think it's important to get to the truth about at least what I'm seeing on film, and I'm sure what you're seeing as well, versus what I'm hearing sometimes. You know, I go on different radio shows, and you know, I was on one last week, and they asked me if uh, Steve Sarkeesian was on the hot seat, and I couldn't believe I was even asked the question. <laughs> you know, uh, I think when you look at the season, there are maybe three or four snaps away from having one loss. You know, and that is um, a credit to, I think, the talent that they have and also a statement about the truth of where this team is at. Anytime you get a new head coach, I believe it takes a full calendar year to implement everything. Because it's not just about the play calling, it's not just about the execution, but it's about the preparation, it's about sleep, it's about how they eat, it's about how they go to class. It's a whole mindset, and it changes every time a new guy comes in, regardless of how closely uh, aligned one may be from a philosophy. You know, people can argue. Or Landon Stark are the same kind of guy. That that's not the case at all. You know, they all they both have their own way about things, and Sark clearly has his way. So I think the close losses that you've seen this year that have literally been a snap. You know, they complete. Uh, they they don't throw to the fullback against Utah, but throw to the tight end. They might be a touchdown at the end of the game against Utah. You know, clearly everybody can imagine uh, the ASU game and just knocking the ball down. So, and then of course the Boston College game was the one that was kind of a shocker where they. Um, you know they got you know really beat physically um, up and down the field in the latter part of that game. So I think for SC fans um, it should be uh, some excitement, um, some promise. It's going to be fun to see what happens clearly in the last month of the season because uh, it's a fun game. It's Cal as they build a light of a scoreboard. You know obviously the UCLA game. I've been following them all season long. They have as much talent as the majority of teams in the Pac-12 conference, specifically on defense. And of course. Notre Dame game. Everybody's going to just naturally be cranked up for that. So heading into the final month, I don't think uh, anyone should feel the sky is falling. Um, everyone should be disappointed in a couple of the losses, but the SC program again, I believe, the perfect hands. I think he's the perfect guy for this job, and he's going to get them back to where everyone wants. It's just in a much more competitive program, a competitive conference than it was when, for instance, D. Carroll came back.
0: The, uh, it's interesting. There's some really good points there. Um, we've seen, and one of the things I guess when when USC hired Steve Sarkeesian, there people were talking about, oh, it's kind of a Lane Kiffin 2.0 thing. There's concerns and stuff about that. Um, but we saw Steve Sarkeesian take a team that was 0 and 12 at Washington and make them pretty good. You know, to go from you know horrific to competitive. Uh, do you think there's a difference between doing something like that and then taking a, a pretty good team and making them great or making them, you know, compete for championships. Is that, do you think that's translatable
1: there? Oh, no doubt. I mean, I think the first and foremost, um, you know, I was looking at the stat when Steve got the job here and I went and did an interview with him for the Pac-12 networks. And this is no slight against the University of Washington, but I think in his five years, I might be off by a couple here, but I think five players were drafted or eight players were drafted and the same span 30 plus players were drafted at USC. So I think, you know, to, to say that, um, you know, Stark didn't have success there or the success of turning a team into a championship program. Um, uh, I think that's just missing facts, you know, to be honest, when I hear that from fans out there, because he took a program that had lost 13 straight games and, Maybe he won too fast. You know, maybe that, maybe that was an issue. Um, but he, he had to completely change a culture and a mindset from never thinking they could win to hoping they could win to knowing they could win and putting themselves in position to do that week in and week out, and they won some big games. I think at USC, you just have a higher uh, population of talent in the area, a higher population of talent on the roster, and I think you stick to the same philosophy, same approach. And I watch back the games. It's the same schemes. It's the same plays. It just comes down to execution, and in the in the the few close losses this year, that has been an issue Um, clearly on some specific plays. But you can see those same plays happening in the first or second quarter, and some of that has to do with natural fatigue, which I believe is just an element of the up-tempo offense. It's not even necessarily the scholarship limitations at USC, but you see it around the country every week. And when teams are playing uh, 100 snaps a game, there's more explosive plays versus when you played 60 snaps a game. Because of the mental errors, because of uh, just being exhausted, not lining up properly. You see it across the country, not not just at SC every week. So I, I think 100 he he can make the uh, uh, he'll make USC into a national contender. I don't even think it's close. I think they're two or three plays away from having one loss and being in a discussion right now.
0: No, I think you're right. Yeah i did a I did a stat story showing like most of the time, <laughs> SC should have won those games. I mean, you're putting that that situation there. You know, I don't know what to say. It's unlucky or whatever it was at the end of the game, but. Usually well, that situation. I,
1: I read that article. That was and that was awesome. That was a great graphic. Um, I, I think that's just, just the way the ball bounces. Go back and look at and I know USC fans will do it. You go back and look at the run that Pete had those five years, top five in the country. There's a multiple games every year where the ball just bounces USC's way. I was on the stat. You think you might lose. You you're you're not sure what's really going to happen, and all of a sudden you get a pit ball at the line of You're going to pick and you take it to the house or. <laughs> Reggie returns a punt out of nowhere. Nobody blocks it. He's just a freak, so he scores a touchdown. You know, you can look at the Fog game at Oregon State. There's a million examples and for every team that wins a championship. Auburn's the best example of all time a year ago. How they win a couple games at the end is beyond me, but they do it. And I think that's just some of the luck that's natural in college football, especially when it's as competitive as it is every week. Because no longer, I believe, uh, for the most part, is any team intimidated when they walk into the Coliseum. And and vice versa, and you can just look at the record. The road teams, I think, are twenty and I don't know twenty and seven or something along those lines in the Pac-12 conference and conference games this year. So teams are confident, and that's just I think the, the fundamental truth of, of this
0: conference right now. Um, well, great stuff there, Yogi, on the uh, the quarterback recruiting, the elite eleven, and the, and the team. But I wanted to talk about this project you're doing too. Uh, Life in a Walk is the new one that you're doing. I checked out. There's uh, if you go to lifeinawalk.com, Life in a Walk, so dot com. You can kind of check out the trailer and stuff, or you can follow them on Twitter at lifeinawalk.com. But I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it and let, and let people uh, kind of know what you're doing there. It looks like a really cool project that can help everybody.
1: Yeah, you know, Ryan, thanks for asking. Um, to me, I've been lucky to be around some really cool stuff in, early in my career, uh, but this is a project that um, means more to me than any of those, and, and you'll get it for obvious reasons but fundamentally uh, my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer and many of your listeners um have been around it whether intimately or with someone that they know and they thought they removed all of it and all of a sudden a couple years later um he went back for some tests and they realized that they hadn't and that's when it hit me between the eyes and I was that guy just like I was when I was coaching and especially when I left got into the entertainment community um you're just hustling you know you're working your tail off And you're not returning phone calls. You're not flying home to visit. And all of a sudden, you're missing out on some of the simple joys that happen between parents and children. So I basically flew back home, and I asked my dad to go for a walk. And he said, sure, where do you want to go? And I busted out a plane ticket. And I said, well, meet me in Portugal, and we can talk all about it. (laughs) And he goes, what? And I said, yeah, let's go for a walk in Portugal and Spain along this pilgrimage called the Camino de Santiago. And for those of you that, that aren't aware of what that is, it's probably the most famous pilgrimage in the world. It's an amazing walk, and it, be, you know, it began you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, and it's become popular over the last probably 10 or 15 years. And to me, it was an opportunity to take a guy who's been a hero of mine forever on a place that was quiet, that nothing could bother us, that your phone wouldn't work, and ask him every question I could dream of. And it was really unique because I, when I came back from the trip, I started asking a lot of my male friends, fathers, uh, you know, Bruce Feldman included, and sons, uh, some of my peers, kids of my age. And, and I learned that as we get older, we're supposed to get more mature, but really what happens is we lose the depth in our relationship. And the greatest example uh, I could give you is my, my life. At 10 years old, I'd sit in the driveway until my dad got home at 5.30 every night and they him throw me 100 divers. Throw me another one. Throw me another one. I'd tell them all of my day and what I traded for a lunch and who i beat in one-on-ones at recess or whatever happened. But as we got older and you get asked how your day is, "Eh, my day was cool, it was fine, it was all right. And you lack all of the depth and the detail. And it hit me between the eyes that I I was living and I was that example. And I never wanted to say the sentence, I wish I'd spend more time with my dad. So I took him on this trip and we filmed the whole thing. And when I came back and got into the edit room and started watching all the footage, um, it hit me that we had something and we had a film. And since I left coaching, um, I've been doing uh, documentaries for the last six years. From, uh, I did one on Sark and Jake Locker, my first year out, called three for the show on Jake coming back for his senior year to obviously the Elite 11 every year or doing the drive in the last few years. Um, but I've been involved as a producer, but I never directed anything, and I wanted to really challenge myself and get out of my comfort zone. You know, the coach's quote is, be comfortable of being uncomfortable, and I, and I had a sense that I needed to get uncomfortable. So I said, I hey, challenge yourself to direct something. You've never done it before. Let's see what happens. So we started a piece of this film together, and I kind of just started doing it. And we got to about 80% done with the movie, and I said, all right, let's pause, and let's see if we can finish this film. And there's a few ways you do it. One is you sell it to a network. So we had a bunch of meetings with the networks. Two is you get all of your rich friends or individual financiers to donate to it and kind of handle the, the final cost of it to distribute it. Or three, you do what is kind of popular now, which is crowdfunding. I thought, let's try crowdfunding because I really want to take this story and create a conversation around it because I found the more and more people I talked to, it would affect. And it would make someone stop, pause, and call their parents. Stop, pause, ask themselves if they had been spending enough time with the people they care about, whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, sibling, mom, or dad. It didn't matter, but my little film was influencing. So I said, let's take it to crowdfunding. Let's partner with Indiegogo and let's tell this story. And we did. And we started it about 30 days ago. You know, we got 10 days left in the campaign, uh, starting today. And what the goal is to raise 50 grand. And I've been pretty much funding the, the film by myself. And the money will, um, first and foremost, allow us to complete the movie from coloring to mixing, paying for music, uh, graphics, just just making it epic. So so hopefully, people can enjoy it and appreciate it. But what I learned, Ryan, and what influenced me the most. But that as this trailer, this four-minute trailer dot lifeonawalk.com started getting shared around social media, I started hearing from thousands, literally, of people around the world, from Europe to South America to Japan to across the street about how this four-minute video forced them to think about their loved ones and stop and go spend time with them. And that's when I realized that my little film turned into something a little bit bigger. And me just being a nudge to other people to spend time with other, you know, their loved ones became a conversation, and maybe... If people on your podcast take it and share it and the next podcast take it and share it or whoever, they start to tell their friends. And maybe this little conversation may come a simple movement around spending time with the people you care about. It. And I have no problem being vulnerable and opening up my heart and telling my story because I almost screwed it up, you know. And luckily I did. My dad's kicking butt. He's doing awesome now. That's great. So for, for me, I want to share this story with as many people as possible because I think it is a, it is a fundamental element that all of us, when we lose someone, if something bad happens, we always pause and say, wow, that really gives me perspective on life. Well, that's one of the two words in, in the dictionary that I hate, you know, perspective. You should live with perspective, I believe. And I was taught that on um, this walk with my dad that's it's captured in our film.
0: That's awesome. I mean, just a, such a wonderful story and I hope it does make people kind of think about their loved ones there. You don't necessarily have to go buy your dad a, a plane ticket to Portugal, but you can go have coffee or something and, and I mean, maybe won't have the same effect, but uh, just just try to get people involved in their families a lot more. It's made me think about it too, which was great.
1: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I get asked this all the time. Well, what if I can't go to Portugal? That's fine. You got to define what your walk is. And for me, my favorite passion in life is traveling. You know, my dream is to just continue to travel and explore the world. So I I mixed my favorite passion with a guy I wanted to learn about. So yeah, whether it's going for coffee or sharing a simple joy with someone, go do it. And, And that's also the part of, What Indiegogo.com and and I did with with our website at Life on a Walk is we created these perks. If you want to get involved in the film, you have to do it with somebody else. So whether it's um, going to a game, you know, somebody this weekend is going to the Seahawks game and he's bringing his dad and his brother. So we created a perk and I leaned on the relationships that I had and Pete's going to hang out with them and he's going to go to practice and go to the game whether go to the pac <laughs> championship and hang out with me with your dad or your mom or whoever, or go to a pit game, or go to the Lakers versus the Trailblazers, uh, whatever it is. We've got a lot of really cool perks, but everything was built purposely around making sure people spend time with one another and have a conversation. So um, it's been really fun, you know, and the last 10 days, you know, me man, now it's time to compete and finish strong, and, and see if we can continue to reach out and get people talking about it, but, To be honest, it's not about reaching the $50,000 to me. It's about reaching another 50,000 people. And that's the challenge I put out to your viewers. Go watch it. Take five minutes out of your life. And if you love it, which I I think you will, share it with three people. And ask them to share it with three people. And that's how we get this thing going. And um, hopefully we don't have anybody saying the sentence, I wish I spent more time with my dad.
0: Uh, Yeah, awesome stuff. Definitely check it out, lifeinawalk.com. And watch a trailer. Tweet it out, put it on your Facebook page and stuff. It's really cool. But when I I was looking at it for the first time, I didn't realize, like, so you must have made a conscious decision to film it before you kind of went out there, right? How did that come about that you actually wanted to film this walk? Besides, going on it was a huge step, but then wanting to film it too. uh, What made you come to that conclusion?
1: Yeah, no, great question. So I was working actually on a travel pilot at the time in New York City. And I had taken, for the last 10 years, I've been traveling around the world a couple times a year to random places, um, whether it was the Middle East, Africa, uh, all over South America, you name it. I mean, you you reference it off the top. This is what I love to do in the off-season specifically. Um, And I've been filming everything on my own. And the production company just said, hey, man, your footage is okay, but it's not great. Can we come film some stuff on your next adventure? And then I described what my adventure was, and they said, oh, my God, this is a home run. We'd love to go do that. So. I partnered with a production company, and we brought over two cameramen and kind of filmed everything. And for me, it was easy, because uh, I've done enough documentaries to know that after about 30 seconds, you revert back to who you are. So I wasn't worried about my dad hamming it up or being nervous. Uh, it was pretty it was easy. And we had a blast. You know, the whole crew and everybody involved got influenced. And it's been really beautiful to, to watch this thing come together. I mean, think about what, what's happened in the last week. We got Kate Vogel to give us a song. We got uh, the guys Alexander, who just won a Golden Globe for the the film All Is Lost with Robert Redford, to to offer up one of his songs for the movie. So people who are watching it, they're influencing. I, I'm getting so many emails from people saying, "Hey, I want to edit it for free. I just want to do it. Take all my music. Hey, share with all you. Uh, here, here's my email list." I mean, things are just coming out of the woodwork, um, and I, I just want to keep that that part of it going because I think it has a chance when you watch it. And I can't wait for you to come to the screening in Los Angeles. Um, it's gonna influence people, and it's not because it's my story. It's, it's not because it's my dad's story, but because it's a story that everyone will will feel conflicted about. Because you're gonna be asking yourself the whole time, as every frame was built, to challenge you of if you're spending time with the people that you care about, and and that to me will be um, a really a really fun element of this of the of story.
0: Yeah, and definitely check it out. And there's some really cool uh, experiences on there. You can surf with the Yogi. Um, there's a hoodie, and you get a journal if you want to. You know record your own life in a walk thing if you're if you're part of a big company you could have yoga come out and talk to your company uh some really cool stuff on the uh, on the website there you guys did a really nice job with it
1: thanks man yeah we got a great team and everybody's leaned in and i think you know the the best compliment i got was when it started from the people who created indiegogo and they said this is why crowdfunding began and now crowdfunding is kind of a unique space and there's anybody can put anything up there to get funded but this type of film is exactly why it was created, and, and, I, and
0: I really love that. Awesome stuff, man. Well, hey, we wish you the best of luck. I know you're not going to need it. You're, uh, you're one of those lucky guys. or I don't, You create your own luck there, but you've always done, every time, I've known, every time I see you, you're always doing something cool. It's always uh, very positive. The message is always great. You're always helping people, so I, I really want to see this uh, work for you. I know you're going to be successful, and uh, thanks again for coming on the show.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Well, thanks. That's Yogi Roth. You can follow him at yogiroth.com. Don't forget, lifeinawalk.com. Check out the trailer there. Four minutes of your life. Just watch that, and it could change your life. So thanks to Yogi Roth, and thanks for coming in on this very special edition of the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to be back with another show a little bit later on the week talking with Bruce Feldman about his new book, The QB. So stay tuned for that, and thank you very much for tuning in.